thanks and welcome to the ninth edition of the Last Meter Pod Talks. Uh, this episode um, in the preparatory messages, uh, I think it was Luke's initial idea, I called Podception because we're talking about, it's a podcast about podcasts and actually uh, we will be talking even deeper about the podcasting domain. Um, and so Evan Troxell, who is, I mean, realistically the hero of architecture podcasts, mm. And, um, and and Luke Jones, who is, I would say, the professor of podcasts, uh, <laughs> of architecture podcasts are here, which is crushingly embarrassing for me because I'm some bizarre sort of, you know, up, upstart in the background. Um, but I'm very delighted to have them both here. But before we, uh, I invite the speakers to um, share their background and then we can jump into the content. There is an urgent arising question, which I have to address directly. Evan, on your podcast, you have very cool music. And, and I have to ask you, where is it from and when will you stop? Because it makes us all look bad. <laughs> I assume you're, you're talking about Arcaspeak and the, the old... Uh, so we no, haven't done that in a while. No, but... no, I'm talking about the Troxel podcast, which oh. has this incredibly cool like groove track. Yeah, and it's that's, like that's embarrassingly good. I'm thinking, well, why, why don't I have this? Yeah. It's uh, I I assume that comes from some royalty-free catalog somewhere. <laughs> oh, okay, I thought I, I actually well, I'm thank you for saying that. It makes me feel better because I thought you were going to say no. I'm a friends with some DJ and he's just that done. would be yeah. So on my on my other podcast, we we used to put a tune from my band at the end of every episode. So every episode oh, ended with a three and a half, four minute long whatever uh, yeah. uh, song. And uh, I don't know if people ever got tired of that. They never told me if they did or not, but. Uh, I never got tired of it, and it was a great way to expose the music to the world. So, the, the other thing that the listeners will now be immediately aware of is that the quality of your audio setup is incredibly good. Your, oh, your good. microphone is, <laughs> is obviously good quality. So, um, Evan, please share who you are, what you've done, um, and and your podcast uh, work, and then Luke, do likewise. And I'll I'll briefly share my sort of background there, and then we can jump into the content. Sure. So I, I'm an architect in California, and I have been working in the industry for about 25 years since uh, interning in college and then going on to graduate and, and all that stuff. Uh, it was, I think, through Twitter that my podcasting career began, I think is where like the water cooler of architects tends to be online, and uh, much more so than, than other social networks, I think and at least the ones who are into technology. And through that um, medium, there was somebody commenting one day about how they should start a podcast. And I said, yeah, you absolutely should start a podcast. And they said, no, we should start a podcast. And I'm like, like I'm like looking around the room. Who, who, who's the we that you're talking about? And so I think it was just through, you know, banter on Twitter that you kind of build a reputation potentially if you want to, good or bad. And through that, um, we started podcasting with ArcaSpeak in 2012, the end of 2012. And so that's been going on. We're on our ninth year now. And the format's changed a little bit over the years, but uh, we're still doing it. And then just last June, I started a podcast called Troxel. And that one is really about how technology is changing the profession of architecture. And I, I love podcasting because it's, it's a great way to experiment 
with um, memorializing conversations on the internet. Um, and I think you guys probably have experience with this. It's, it's easier than writing a blog. It's much more top of mind. Uh, I, there are some podcasters who do an absolute phenomenal job with production and script writing, and I'll, I don't do any of that. This is much more of a, a live conversation that, you know, has the downside of not really being searchable. I think that that potentially is changing with, with tech like Otter AI and, and things like that that I don't use. But, um, you know, as far as like live transcriptions and things go. But I think it is a way to connect personalities with an audience. And mm. I think people show up a lot of times just to hear these characters that they're used to and that they like um, hearing from doesn't it kind of gets to the point where it doesn't matter what they're talking about and i think you know that's that's my experience with podcasts i will listen to podcasts just to hear their voice and kind of get that out of it and not necessarily care about the topic as much and so um obviously there's other podcasts where i i will skip if i don't see something in the topic list that i like so I, it depends right but anyway that's kind of a, a quick uh, theory on podcasting as well as my just to clarify what is, well, how would you describe the distinction between uh, uh, um, uh, speak and um, and uh, the Troxel podcast yeah so Archispeak is much more of a water cooler talk uh, what it's like to work in the profession we get a right. lot of comments from students and old professionals alike who the student perspective is thank you for speaking about this kind of stuff that our professors right, don't know it. about because I they don't it, yeah. typically work in the profession. And then we'll get the, the gray haired person at the drafting table saying, you know, I just turn you guys on because it's like I'm in an office again. Mm. And then Troxel is much more of a, a, a two sided conversation between me and my guest about some relevant technology or concept that's changing the profession of architecture. Okay, Luke, share what's up. Uh, so, yeah, my name's Luke Jones. I'm an architect in London, although I, I mean, I mostly work in architectural education, um, teaching uh, sort of various design uh, and other courses. And I have a podcast called About Buildings and Cities, which I set up with my friend George Gingell, uh, getting on for, well, we started working on it about five years ago, and then it launched um, probably in the, in the summer of 2016. Uh, and it's a podcast that deals with things which we're sort of interested in. So kind of architectural history, culture, fiction. Um, yeah, sort of anything, film, you know, yeah, the sort of broader culture of architecture. Um, I'm not quite sure what now what the agenda was that we had when we started off doing it. I think that in part, it's that we were both working freelance and sort of voraciously consuming a lot of podcasts at the time. And there was sort of um, idea that we might want to provide, you know, that there was, we were having these kind of interesting conversations and we would go and, you know, uh, we'd go and visit buildings um, or um, go on um, these kind of architecturally uh centered cycling trips and these kinds of things and um so there was an idea i think of kind of taking that conversation and um producing some kind of content to do with it um the way the episodes work is that they are they're sort of researched um and we do quite a lot of reading try and visit buildings and that kind of thing they're they're in the form of a dialogue generate sort of 
in in the early days they were somewhat scripted that we had kind of written links and things but they're now really basically free form and that we kind of work out in dialogue what we think is going on with whatever it is that we happen to be talking about whether it's um you know a particular period in the career of Le Corbusier or um kind of Franz Kafka novels or Space 2001 or whatever it happens to be um and uh I mean yeah I but sort of it's kind of interesting coming being the producer of the podcast to think about what people are getting out of it and I do kind of agree with Evan that it's a lot to do with vibe and um a kind of the pleasant feeling of being in the room with a conversation which is kind of interesting but which you can also dip out of a little bit mm -hmm. I do think that I think content is super important and people and and kind of necessary to really make it very meaningful and you know to really um sort of pursue what however you define the sort of excellence of that type of content but it's also a kind of gateway drug actually for the majority of the of the listeners i think in the sense that well we're sorry to cut you off uh, we'll get into the meat of it because yeah. we're, we're kind of moving into the bigger discussion i just wanted to kind of get you guys to to frame your 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 um backgrounds a bit and and, and the specific podcasts We've obviously got, I mean, you ton of stuff to discuss here because I feel that right now this is a marginal. I mean, I, I, I mean, Evan, you're you're a god of podcasting, but in the grand scheme of things, is comparatively marginal in, in the media landscape. But I think it's going to continue growing, mm. uh, and, it, and that's one thing to to investigate. Um, just to just <clears throat> my my background here is that I've become an architect, um, not quite accidentally, but definitely without a lot of intention up front. I started as an environmental scientist and policymaker at the United Nations. I wrote the policy on sustainable urban lifestyles, basically sustainable consumption and production, but it's essentially sustainable urban lifestyles. And then bit by bit, after doing a bunch of sort of science economics research and environmental science, um, it became more spatial and urban in its character, the work I was doing. And I took a post-professional architecture diploma and then was very uncomfortable calling myself an architect because I wasn't really drawing very much. But gradually started doing architecture consulting, became more architectural, and started drawing more and more. And the content of the work, which led to the company that I run now called Base2, basically ended up being um, how do you design buildings to optimize for sustainable lifestyles? And that sounds a little bit more abstract than it actually is. If you design a building without parking spaces, you are making a significant contribution to shifting transport modes you can't just do it bluntly you actually have to facilitate alternative transport and so if you design a building without parking and you offer a mobility relationship a car share or a bus ticket or whatever you're creating i think the future of real estate which is a service high service integrated real estate model where the service layers and the design optimizations um, come together and that's kind of what base two does now that stuff is relatively obvious to me and increasingly obvious to people out in the architecture design technology space, such as Hypar and Testit and you know other people that you know, we both had in our respective podcasts, um, Evan. Mm -hmm. But what isn't happening fast enough is that the real estate sector is getting what the fuck is going on. And that's very frustrating, right? We get a lot of enthusiasm from CEOs of real estate companies, but their business development directors and operations guys struggle to do anything with mm -hmm. this stuff. And so we created a content channel 
newsletter and a bunch of stuff, just, just to, partly because it was moving slower than we wanted, although in the right direction, but also because it's good for us to differentiate and to thought lead if we can. All right. And I think that we can. Right. I think that we're smart about these things. I put a lot of theory, analysis, design technology under what we're doing. It's not just guessing that services and real estate are going to come together. We really, really, really have built a deep model in this. And that model is actually touches on tons of things. So it touches on architectural typo typological history, you know, the, the history of you know, urban space, logistics, retail, design technology, data. And so why not open up that to a podcast, right? And bring the themes in and touch on what we're doing every now and then, but just you know, host a conversation around the things that we have to know something about. Turns out that that is actually quite interesting. Right, and so the last meter podcast talks has been picking up momentum in the volume of scores, mm. hundreds of users per unit each time. But actually, is picking up attention. We have we haven't got anything to announce today, but there may be a, a sort of technical software company sponsoring it in the near future on a trial basis because these conversations matter to society. We want to know how to put together architecture, technology, sustainability logistics on demand and so forth, which is sort of the center of what we're doing. So that's our weak, pathetically weak justification for doing a podcast. So it's kind of accidental. Um, but what what let, let's let's start by taking a little bit of a step back. Um, and it may not be of interest to you, but it, I think it's useful at least even then exposing our knowledge or ignorance, whatever it is in this space. What do we think about the media landscape? Horribly pretentious phrase, but you know, where is the media world at? So, I mean, let me, you know, let me ask you, Evan, this is a straightforward question. What is the state of trade media for the architecture profession? Magazines, publications, is it selling? Is it dying? Who's buying it? Where are we at with the media world for, for these issues? It's interesting, right? I, I see a lot of shifting happening in that. I think it, it started when magazines became more ads than content that people started to right. lose interest in that and and so now you've you've got with with the digital landscape with with podcasts or youtube videos just as examples it's that model is flipped right it's mostly content whether it's good or bad doesn't doesn't really fall doesn't matter i don't think it's it's more content than ads right and so you may be willing to listen you're much more willing i would say to listen to uh 30 second, 60 second, 90 second ad somewhere in a podcast that's an hour long plus in, you know, so that you can get a lot more content. And I think that, you know, especially during COVID, but even before COVID, when people were commuting, you have this time available and the devices that we carry in our pockets have made it so that, um, we have this found time that we didn't have before. Like you couldn't read a magazine while driving, right? And so it's it's just the nature mm. of, of the beast where these, these have worked their way into our culture because of, you know, the iPhone or the, the Android phone has, has enabled that. I don't think it wasn't the purpose of those things. It became something that they could do. Um, or if you if you're if you're sitting on a on a subway, right? Everybody has headphones in. Everybody's using that time. If you're walking the dog, everybody's got headphones in. I go on a mountain bike ride. I don't wear headphones. I want to be one with nature. But everybody out there has headphones in. Everybody, and so it's really kind of this 
this enabling of, you know, downtime, found time, off time to become, you know, either productive or passively productive kind of time spent mm. listening or watching um, people talk and, and think, think about these other mm. things that you're interested in. So we, the, we, the, the yeah. old media landscape, I, it's, I, I, don't, I don't even see how it, it's a viable model anymore. I know there's mm. a lot of people invested in mm. that. Um, mm. but, but I think that that translates into traditional architecture businesses <laughs> talking as well. Talking about, just to give you a little, little extra, little piece of context. So I'll come to you, sorry to, I'm sorry to just interject here, Bill, because I want to hear your setup, uh, Luke, on this, but just in terms of your point about, you know, media being, old media being advertising he heavy and not having a viable future. Um, I, I don't want to tell tales out of school, but actually I do want to tell tales out of school in having discussions with a potential sponsor we had already had a discussion with a large publisher in the architecture space who would publish an article by a respected person who had quoted me and i said well you know i was thinking well how do you publish in these these online magazines and so forth i reached out to the publisher of that thing and they said hey you're doing such great content you know you, you pitch us a collaboration so i pitched them a collaboration it turns out they want us to pay them to publish our stuff yeah. <laughs> and I was like, they gave me like five or six options. And I said, well, most of those look like paid media. Let's look at that, you know, the last thing with some editorial content. He said, yeah, yeah, that's a paid opportunity as well. I was like, wow. fuck off. Right. Staggering. When I was and, in and, a band, and, we had to sell tickets to our own show for people to come. And it, you're right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, but the point, but here's the, I mean, this is the point, I will not mention it, but actually it's fascinating. It, they are the largest publishers in the architecture space and mm. they're expecting mm. what is obviously provably useful content to be, to pay them to publish it. Yeah. And I think that that is from the evidence that the model is more than a bit broken. Luke, where, how do you see yourself and feel free to kind of, you know, give your own comments, trenchant or otherwise about the media landscape? How do you see yourself in the media landscape, particularly for the architecture profession, but in general? Um, yeah, well, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm more and more kind of happy to identify myself as being a new media guy and that being a kind of, uh, right. um, that being, you know, a thing. I think that, I, I mean, I think obviously architectural media is very, very sort of marginal economically and rather like, um, I mean, so much of the whole sort of spectacle of like architectural culture and media production is, you know, a lot of um, sort of visible appearance, but with actually very little money behind it. The same has always been true of like the the, BN, the various sort of biennales as well, but actually like behind the scenes, there's basically no, there's very little money actually in, in these things, which is still sort of um, have a certain sort of, a certain kind of status. I guess one of the things about new media, yeah, is that, um, it can run for basically no money because a lot of the time people are not doing it as a main job. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's able to fill a whole series of, um, of niches, which there isn't necessarily a kind of traditional business case for. Partly that's because of the, like just the natural closed mindedness or the, or the, 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 the you know, the, the sort of existing culture of, um, um, of the traditional media producers. I remember um, having a conversation with someone who produced radio programs for the BBC, um, sometimes about architecture. 
and she like a very experienced person but she and she said that categorically you can't do a program where you talk about buildings you can do programs about architects sometimes as long as you make it about something else but you can't talk to people about buildings because they're boring interesting which is <laughs> which is kind of you know that, that so that's and that was for the mainstream i suppose um then obviously there's like there's a kind of specialized press that talks to people who are who are interested in buildings although um in a very much more marginal uh uh kind of space um i mean i think the case for new media is yeah that you can try anything that you can do things which don't really require any like it's possible to do all sorts of things with basically no money at all um and some of them some of them take off and some of them you know often the sort of discoveries about the things which people want are actually want to listen to or consume or are, are interested in are you know profoundly bizarre like yeah, the, the, i totally the, agree you know I if you think of the kind of multi-billion um dollar phenomenon of watching people play computer games like yeah. what person in existing media would have predicted that that would have been a thing like that's a like a very peculiar sort of um discovery about what people really want sorry i didn't mean to jump in the, to the middle of what you're saying there evan no I, i i agree and i think that new media is not interested in mainstream i think that it it enables people to get weird right mm. and and to be really specific into you know go deep rather than wide and i think that's why people get into this on their spare time right it's because they want to do something that interests them and they want to find other people that that's interesting to and keep it like that right it's not about scale mm. in in many of those situations i think so, so i mean i i have very strong sort of structured opinions on this but just to kind of summarize my my view is that the the, the classic media has the classic i don't know i got old stream media because all, all but the classic media channels have always assumed that what they're leveraging is their ability to reach people mm-hmm. right that has been their power whether it's the printing press or the broadcasting tower or or the you know the, the national broadcasting status or whatever it is they have these protected or or limited channels and what that's led to in my view just to cut a long story short is a massive breakdown in the difference between news information opinion and you know feature content and i think that people want them to be different i think just i think psychologically they want them to be different and i think the social media channels are taking over opinion and you know mm-hmm. just general information sharing what's happening is that the 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 quality of feature content or educational content in in the mainstream media channels has always been relatively poor but we never noticed because there was no other way of getting a lot of content right and if we were lucky you'd have a bbc that had high production standards mm-hmm. but even then there was actually better content that could be made but no one was making it no one had the opportunity now what's happening is that quality quality uh, and audiences of quality are self selecting you know the, the mainstream channels do not have the power or opportunity to limit the content that goes out and so i think what's being tested is the willingness of users to accept mediocrity and content and that's a slightly it's a related argument to niches but i also think it's about people saying hang on a second this was just pablum i don't want to fucking hear about antiques roadshow i want to learn about antiques right mm-hmm. you know because there's a distinction people i mean if you if you study it, if you, i mean i used to like antiques roadshow as everybody does because of the money payoff 
not because I was learning anything about antiques. And when you actually study it from the perspective of learning about antiques, you realize many of the experts are okay, but not that good. Mm -hmm. That's why they're on TV, not actually in auction houses. <laughs> and, and, so, and so the quality piece is, I think, a bit different and a bit more, for me, it's, it's, more, it's more evolutionary than the niche piece, than the kind of long tail argument. Um, I think that also in the, um, I mean, so when you shift into a more educational or professional media channel, like when people, you know that your audience is looking for high quality content, what then happens is a bit more different is that they expect it to be very, very good and useful, not just quality, but actually productive. And that's where, for example, you know, ArchiSpeak starts taking off. There's no other way. There's literally no other way from the media to get that, um, you know, insight into um, into the actual profession on a regular basis. And so I think that there's a quality argument which is breaking the presumption that, you know, just because you've got a printing press or a broadcasting tower, you get to say what is good. And then there's a kind of professional networking, world building dynamic that's also in play. I think that the technologies of it definitely matter. I think that, you know, what we're all, well, I, I say we all, I can speak for myself. Basically, I've worked out a podcasting model where I just press play on a conversation basically I would, would have wanted to have anyway. Right, and if I prepare the agenda carefully and make sure I know the content, which mm. mostly I do, but I'm, because of the way I think and it, how I structure my interests, I can pretty much edit it by just checking the levels and publishing it, mm -hmm. which is a fascinating thing because it's cost-free and time-free. Mm -hmm. Right, interesting. So you don't uh, edit? Uh, well, I do edit. I check for edits, but I actually—that's why you guys received a, a structured agenda in advance, which yeah, I asked yeah, you yeah. to edit yeah. because it means I can have a running order that leads to a conversation that actually almost always produces a viable first take conversation. <laughs> we edit, we a, edit very heavily on my I've learned actually to reduce the editing time. Oh yeah. Well, it's great to set that up on purpose in the beginning. <laughs> That's a mistake I think that we, we definitely made on Arcaspeak was doing an edit and then it kind of sets an expectation internally, but also exactly. externally. By yes. just that's what happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, actually, mean in distinction to to you know, um, let's take Troxel podcast for example. I'm actually quite explicitly not trying to create a personality driven um, conversation. I don't want to know that much about you guys. Not because I don't know you, or don't know you personally, but because it's actually easier for me to not have to edit it, mm -hmm. right? Because there are there because I basically just drive sort of mechanically through a set of themes that I've agreed with you. And, and then we've got content, right? Mm. Um, and that's, a, that's an intention because we are trying to cover so much territory and keep it relatively coherent across mm. those different talks. Um, but it also just makes it easier for me. What I can say about your respective podcasts is I just think they are truly brilliant. Right? I think your ability to, um, to get to nuance through the conversational format is spectacular. I'm always writing notes from your Troxel podcast. Mm. Um, and you know, some of them playing them back, you know, quoting back to Ian from Hyper. Hey, you said this on Evan's podcast. He's like, Oh, did I? <laughs> yes, and you meant it. And um, your podcast, um, Luke, is staggeringly erudite in ways that I still find hard to believe. Right. And I think that being, you know, across the you know the, the, the comments that we've shared, I think that the and coming to you know some of the, the next pieces of this conversation, I think that that content is just going to continue to grow in value. Mm -hmm. I think that these fucking magazines that are asking to pay <laughs> to put shit in there, which they do not admit is paid content, and that's a publishing house, is utterly unsustainable, particularly in the professional sphere. 
right? Where people are expected to pay for this content that, you know, it's just a scam. I, I also think that there's a, a part of it where the, the new media, and, and we're in a transition phase, I think uh, that this being regular about releasing content has its benefits still. But I think that that's also to the detriment of old media, right? Which is, if you have to hit the schedule, you have to put something out. And it's never going to be, it's, it can't always be amazing, right? And so then the mediocrity creeps in. And over time, Mm -hmm. it just gets Mm -hmm. to become a larger piece of the pie. Whereas Mm -hmm. I think new media will ultimately lead to just putting out the type of content you want to put out when you want to put it out. It decouples Mm -hmm. a schedule from the content. I think, that would, I think that's right. That would be nice. I think that the at the moment, I think quite a lot of the platforms still strongly incentivize velocity, don't they? So that your kind of discovery and your growth are right. yeah. there's no you know there's, it's a, a it's it's not a linear relationship between how often you put stuff out and how fast your users grow. If you're doing it weekly rather than fortnightly, your growth is more going to be more than twice as good. Or you're sort mm-hmm. of going to be reaching people all the time. So. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I have started seeing people whose projects are way more infrequent and kind of as and when, who nevertheless still seem to be having a lot of, a lot of success and reaching a lot of people, which is, in, think, is interesting. I think there's, there's a couple, well, that's, that's very interesting. I, I think that there's a, there's, there's, there's a difference between being regular and being scheduled, mm. right? And I think that's crucial because your point about the mainstream, or the, that's horrible, so the classic, the classic media channels is that they have they have synchronous, you know, scheduled broadcasts, mm-hmm. right? Whether, whether they're aired, whether they're pre-recorded, they're, they, you know, they, they have a schedule to broadcast on. And I think that is exactly, as you say, a problem for content and quality. Whereas what we can do is you can say we're roughly weekly, right? But we can time shift as much as we need to get the precise content we want or the precise booking we want and so forth. And I think that leads to, I think, kind of what you're pointing to, Luke, which is the, the mind space that you occupy. Right. If mm-hmm. you are seen as a valuable content source and you, you know, you, you, you produce content into that thought space sufficiently regularly to not lose that role, then you'll carry on. And a couple of examples that come to mind. So Casey Neistat mm-hmm. was one of the pioneers of daily vlogging, arguably the pioneer of making it a real thing. Right. He stopped doing daily vlogging, but has lost none of his audience. Right. Yeah. Right. Even he was surprised by that. I mean, PewDiePie is another example who used to be daily is now mostly daily but explicitly were, you know, were scared to stop vlogging daily and discovered, oh, well, it's fine. I don't lose any audience. Mm. Um, and I think that you know, this is part of the, the new media landscape, which is what exactly are we doing with our audience, which is something we'll come to, and how do we make sure that we... You know, yeah, I would be interested to see... I think I just don't understand enough about how people grow those audiences in the first place without that velocity. I think mm-hmm. that it is, it is possible to do, but I think it's really challenging. If you think of... There are like very very clear examples of of um, if you think of like serial and those type of ones which are released as a as a kind of a complete dump of all of the episodes in one go and they mm-hmm. sort of but but you the, you know that's something which you can do if you have a, a kind of million listener platform already. Right, so- I think I'm I'm struggling to think of an example of someone who's made that type of release model successful from zero feels 
Well, so Mr. Beast actually was a bit like that. He did release relatively frequently, but not... Uh, well, I mean, actually, the, the broader point, I mean, I, I really want to make is I actually think, right? I mean, uh, we, 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 this is, we, we, we've got the rest of the podcast with us, but just to kind of share a, a quick comment on this, and because I want to actually identify you guys as leaders in this, I think the way to make it work is identity, right? Why mm. PewDiePie works and why Mr. Beast works and why Katie works is because they built loyal followers for their identity. And, and that it, that's kind of what I mean by community. It's not just, it, but the community is a bit too diffuse, but it basically it means a group of people that want that energy and that identity. And I think that what is very definable about um, about your uh, Troxel podcast, Evan, is the, is the psychological space that you create. It's an incredibly definable thing. You, your competency, the way that you engage users, uh, user speak, uh, guests, the way you um, uh, structure a conversation, the production quality, it's extremely identifiable. And, and for me, it's just an immediate, okay, got to listen to every single episode more than once. Uh, and the same for you, Luke, it's, it, it's the depth and the hilarity of the conversation makes an identity thing. And, I, and so I, what I would say is that these I don't know. I'm, I'm sensing when you use words like velocity, you're looking at these graphs and shit for you know for your mm. broadcast for your broadcast. And I'm thinking, well, yes, but really, it's you know, it's building the the the, the brand, as they say. You know, that's a classic way of talking about identity. Mm. I think something there to me is about the the brand for the the ones that you cited, Mr. Beast and Casey is is about authenticity, right? I sure, think that exactly. one of the reasons they're so popular is because people like them because they're 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 not trying to polish something. They're not trying to be Very thought much. leaders. They're not trying to yeah. spin and market everything that they put out. They're mm. just being who they are. And mm. and that has huge cachet for people mm. who are willing to wait for the next thing to come out because they just they love that character. They love the yeah. character. For sure. Yeah, very much so. Because we'll come back to this actually very much, uh, you know, later in the in the talk. But let's just talk for a second about the the specific audio formats. Is there an audio renaissance going on? What's happening? Why is there something about the audio? Because you touched on it a little bit, when you talked about you know this found time, mm -hmm. right? You know, you can't read a magazine when you're driving, even if you believe Elon Musk, um, and there's something going on there. Is it just this commute kind of modality or is there something else going on around audio, the audio renaissance? There's definitely a lot of experimentation going on, right? There's, yeah. there's, I think Spotify made some announcements this week. We've seen the kind of takeoff velocity of, of clubhouse in, mm. in that, that space as well. Um, and, and honestly, I think that just the long, hard road that podcasting has been for so many kind of, you know, foundational podcasts out there to, to create this space has made that possible. So is there a, re a renaissance going on? Maybe. I'd, I'd, it'll be interesting to see what sticks. I don't necessarily see the value in Clubhouse over a podcast other than the kind of inherent ability to invite people who do show up to be a part of the conversation which podcasting can't do right yeah but you still have to be there 
And mm-hmm. so the to me the huge value of of YouTube and podcasting or or other audio stuff is that is that it is time shifted. It it is when you, it's on your schedule. Exactly. It's on exactly. your demand. Mm-hmm. And and to me the there there's hmm. huge benefits in that over the the live kind of stuff. Do you feel that you're part of a audio renaissance, Luke? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I, I would go that far. I mean, it feels like, I mean, I, maybe audio is sort of at the epicenter of it, but there is, there is a sort of particular uh, kind of high lowbrow thing which seems to be going on with a lot of this where there is there's a niche which um, certain forms of new media are able to fill which perhaps in like the 70s or whatever would have been filled by BBC two documentaries or something like this, but which is now. Wait, 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 wait. We have to make sure everyone, everyone else understands what <laughs> okay, BBC like, two is. Oh, it's, do, you, do you know what the reference is, Evan? I don't. It's the inter- okay. So, it's so it's wait, wait, wait. I will do. Oh, it. I will do. It. It's it's going to be too much fun. So, in the classic TV model in the UK, which was highly regulated, there is the national broadcaster BBC, and there was historically, literally, at first one independent. Uh, channel which was a struggle called IT independent television and and what happened on the on the national broadcast channel is they added a second channel called BBC2 um, for intellectual and educational content mm. <laughs> carry on Luke sorry like PBS um, the yes that's that's yes. the kind of thing exactly um, but Ah, uh, yeah. Well, wait, wait, wait. Oh, a bit like PBS, but, but don't forget the BBC itself was PBS, right? So oh, okay. even more dorky than PBS. It's more like C-SPAN. <laughs> gotcha. It's kind of... Yeah, I guess the thing about... The thing, the advantages of audio are, are you know, that we, you can do it in this very minimal way, like we're doing it now. That Whereas in um, to be a YouTuber, I think you kind of... You really ought to invest at least a little bit in um sort of understanding and having the right equipment to um uh to make the stuff actually look good whereas with audio there is potentially a very low barrier to entry i mean i'm i mean you can really make a mess of it as i think we probably do quite often on my podcast just partly why we edit so much uh, to get all the like sounds of eating and people um revving their engines outside and that kind of thing out of the out of the audio but uh i i mean yes audio can fill the gaps uh, that's the other thing is that i particularly in the sort of architecture audience i guess a lot of people are listening to stuff while they're drawing a lot of people are it's not just the commutes but often people do actually have occupations where you can have something going in the background it's the sort of back in the days when we worked in offices it, that was the sort of classic thing of everyone on their headphones um getting into their little concentrated space for work. Uh, the soundtrack often for which is a podcast because of the kind of inca- inherent sort of coziness of the, of the form. I think we've alluded to more than once. I, d- I don't know what, if it's a renaissance, because I don't really know what it would mean for it to be a renaissance or not, but it does, it's definitely, it's expanding. And I think I'm actually quite, I'm kind of fascinated by Clubhouse because it does seem to be uh the kind of conviviality of podcasts allied to the like madness and energy of streaming um and the, the, <laughs> and also also the like the weird the potential weird discovery mechanisms of like youtube mm. and, and streaming and those sorts of things so i'm yeah 
I don't think they're the same thing. I'm not sure it's going to be like a massive medium either. Sorry, what's not the same thing? Um, Clubhouse and podcasts. Um, okay, right. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated to see where this goes. It does feel like um, it's uh, definitely a new frontier in something. I mean, Renaissance actually is, 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 a, is a, you know, you can, you can actually put numbers on it, which is basically if you take audio only media content, as a percentage of people's total media consumption, is it going down or is it going up? Mm -hmm. And it appears to be that it's radically going up. Oh. Um, and that I think count is sufficiently for that to be called a renaissance, people, the, the share of audio content in people's total media consumption. And I think part of it is to do with that. Um, it is this found time thing. It is just more convenient to listen to audio than try to watch a you know, video when you're, even if you're commuting on transit, for example, um, it's just that it's just less encumbered because you have one less sense to, to engage. Um, but also I think that it touches on what you mentioned before, uh, Evan, about identity, right? Written content, right? Let's leave video aside for a second, just has a lot less intimacy, no matter how good the writer is, than somebody's voice, mm. particularly in high quality. Uh, and I think that that's just a human factor, right? And I think that leads to another human factor, which is that um, watching things is just that bit more tiring. Right. I think what's interesting about podcasts, and I think most people who listen to podcasts in interstitial times that are not interstitial because you cannot do anything else like driving, they're interstitial because you 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 feel you don't need to give it your full attention to get the full content. Mm. You're you're vacuuming or you're you know you're you're in the kitchen, for example. You literally can get the content, you can remember the content, you can include it in conversations later. But you're doing other things, and I think that that is not just a convenience factor; it's a psychological load factor. How much mental effort is required to engage with this content to a sufficient degree? And so I think that it's a personality and identity and sort of intimacy thing. I think it's a convenience and you know availability of the senses thing. And I also think it is a load factor thing i think that people just feel overwhelmed by content and yet podcasts and audio content seems to be just less stressful frankly um and i and i think when it comes to clubhouse i i think for all those reasons i described it, why there is an audio renaissance i think basically what's happening is just and i kind of always thought this but now since suspected this but now i actually really do think it is that the, the audio renaissance is basically time shifted radio mm -hmm. and we listen to radio because of all of those reasons it was more accessible, it was interstitial, it was more intimate and so forth. And now what's happening is it's just fucking time shift radio and we want it again. Mm -hmm. And we're fed up with all this package content. And what I think, ironically, Clubhouse is bringing back is the radio phone in. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I think the stupid thing about Clubhouse, which I'm sure they're going to correct, is that you can't, it's not recorded. Because exactly as you say, Evan, I think that there's a, that there's a risk there that it gets stuck back in scheduled broadcasting mode. Mm -hmm. that no one can show up. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the, the audio renaissance, I feel it's a real thing, but I think it, you know, come to come back to, to your respective um, uh, products, if I may call it that, I think it, a lot of it ultimately is also identity driven, right? Um, I think that we want to build in our mind relationships with people and their ideal worlds. And if those ideal worlds are sim simpatico, then we will, you know, I mean, a lot of it is just psychological, you know, affinity. I think one of the things that makes these able to become large movers and scale and, and, you know, to actually do a renaissance with, with this kind of media requires shareability. 
And I think that's one of the downsides of podcasting is that there hasn't really been a way other than a a few clever apps out there to share pieces of podcasts easily. And usually those are kind of hidden features anyway. Extremely interesting. Is, you know, especially with a long form podcast like, like mine and, and this one, right. Is, is that there's the ability to share a snip of this to somebody else is what is going to help it grow. And that is really hard to do. It's the same thing with video, right? You can't mm. easily share a snip of a documentary to get other people mm. interested. This is why there are commercials, right? And so yeah. I, I'm wondering what the next evolution of that's going to be. And, and uh, you know, thinking about Clubhouse, you have the same problem, right? So mm. you had to be there is maybe even more of a struggle for shareability, right? Because there's no recorded you know, you can't say, oh, yeah, I, like it, it really becomes like you really do have to be there. And, and I don't know that that's the right direction for audio. And maybe I'm just showing my age now. <laughs> maybe I'm just the old guy in the room thinking that it's, uh, you know, I don't understand what's what these kids are doing with Clubhouse. But I, I do <laughs> I do think that there are some some inherent downsides to the to the model. My, we're about to try, right? So if this if this collaboration comes through, and probably anyway, there'll be a slight rebrand of this podcast uh, to clarify its um, its precise sort of content mission. And I I think what we will try is a a clubhouse session after the podcast drops, mm-hmm. and the explicit point of it will be to visit content from the podcast episode and build conversational community around it we won't see clubhouse as a as a vehicle in its own right as a standalone thing we'll see it as a reinforcing you know chip in if you want to feedback we'll try and get the same speakers but at least we'll have a conversation around the content um and um it's actually something i was going to i will contact you about evan separately to 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 discuss that in 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 sort of dynamic some of the dynamics around that you're just lucky i have an iphone so i can actually participate (laughs) ironically i do not have an iphone right now i used to have an iphone (laughs) and i have to get one to get this whole thing rolling but um we'll step out from the from the from the sort of the the medium conversation i'll come back to that in a second let's just do a few loops on on the content and and sort of community, sort of technical community, content community piece for 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 a second. Um, do you, I mean I'll, I'll sort of structure the question in a, in a way where the where this little this this piece of the conversation is going, and then we can kind of wind it back into the more broader aspects of it. Do you think there is a limited audience for architecture and built design content, both of you, or is it infinitely expandable? Um. Well, not infinitely, but it's larger and more diverse and sort of unusual than the audience, which is probably addressed by traditional architectural outlets. So I'm sure you have this experience as well, but when people do write in to talk to you about the podcast, they often, like they, like people very often have backgrounds which are just surprising. They come from a surprising part of the world. They do a surprising job, which is not straightforwardly architectural or built um, environment related. Um, I'm trying now to think of, a, of a, an example, but maybe I shouldn't. Um, the So, I mean, yes, I think lots of people are interested in these types of, uh, these types of questions, these types of ideas. Um, I mean, I think they will always be relatively small because the, uh, to speak for the kind of stuff that um, my podcast looks at, 
I think that it's not quite the ideal subject for the podcast form, although we're making a good sort of fist of it. You can see that the um, the things which kind of gel most naturally with the podcast form are the ones which are the biggest podcasts, which are, you know, in terms of content, um, well, conversations and things like that. And then like true crime and history, which are things which are really easy to understand as a sort of linear narrative. Um, whereas, you know, things which are much more open or spatial or require some kind of um, interpretation in the form of description, um, I think you can definitely make an interesting podcast out of those things, but maybe the podcast is never going to be its absolutely natural medium. So that possibly puts a bit of a ceiling on it. What do you mean by that? So just to clarify why you don't think the podcast is a natural medium? For well, you know, or... talking about the, talking about buildings, um, what, what, is, what was the what's the what's the thing? I mean, yeah, talking about buildings, dancing about architecture, like the, these are the the, the the process of interpreting, um, like what is mostly a visual, um, mostly a kind of visual experience. Just talking about build, talking about buildings and what they're like into audio form runs into the rocks of either you know, not making yourself clear or rabbiting on for ages and becoming tedious, mm. um, which like either one of those, I'm very aware of having done both of those things. Like, I, I just, I, just to say bluntly, I think you're absolutely wrong. <laughs> Your podcast proves that that is wrong. I think that you create an extraordinarily valuable and exciting and diverse conversation around it. And the evidence, mm. you, know, ca- ca- you know, parallel evidence is the podcast about music there's mm. countless podcasts about music mm-hmm. that don't even have much music in there because of licensing. Yeah. You know, there's enthusiasts podcasts and film podcasts with no film content. I mean, there's countless film podcasts, but the truth is that, I mean, I, I'm, th- this, is, this, this is a contradiction it, 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 as a mechanism to give you as much compliment as it possibly can. Um, you are a unique blend of enthusiasts and experts, and that is staggeringly compelling mm. in my view. For me, as somebody who knows about the content, I have sent you countless messages publicly and privately saying, you know, babbling about details of what you've been <laughs> saying. But um, because I'm obsessed about details that you bring out that I think no one else is talking about, mm. but I'm sure there's lots of people who don't know very much about these things who find it equally or more compelling. Um, I think some of so, it, I think it also slightly, when it works. Evan, just just, just oh, there's yeah. another kind of little British pause here. Evan, you need to understand that Luke is being very British. It's not the <laughs> British thing to yeah. say. I'm breaking through. I'm proving a new yeah. medium. He's, 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 yeah. he's, he's, he's <laughs> predictably self-negating. I mean, the other thing is that, uh, yeah, well, the, however of a good job we do of it it is also it's always something which is kind of testing and slightly mm-hmm. difficult to like interpret visual media for sure. audio yeah. and i think that the other thing about that is that it does the the other kind of uh, obstacle that that can run into is that you are slightly testing the limits of um audio and particularly podcast or something which people like to receive mostly passively you like you do make a bit of a demand on people to pay attention when you're mm-hmm. uh, going through a sort of sequential description the various bits of which need to kind of need to hang together and depend on one another um yeah i mean if i didn't think it worked at all i wouldn't be doing it but i do, i just i think that there's always going to be a lot more noise in that process than there are in subjects which are more naturally like narrative 
I was thinking and, about, and, well, I was just going to throw in real quick. I think one of the reasons people show up again and again and, and you start to create a community is because of this, I, I guess, I, a void is being filled in their in their lives where mm. these are the kind of conversations they <laughs> want to be awful. having. <laughs> it does. Uh, but, it, but it's like they, they want to be part of these conversations. They want yeah. more of these kinds of conversations, right. at least with these types of podcasts that we're talking about yeah. right yeah. now, yeah. ours. It, like that's what they long for they want to be having those and so they show up to have those in a way right yeah, and definitely. and what's interesting to me is when you start to see the same people showing up and commenting over and over and over again um you you can obviously realize that 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 they're repeat listeners and you're starting to build this community what's interesting to me is that those community members start speaking with each other and they yeah. like each other too, right? And and it's not like they've ever met. I mean, I, one my co-host and I did not meet in person for three years after we started our podcast. Mm. Interesting. So, so the same goes for our listeners, right? If ever. And so when when it does come an opportunity for them to meet up with the podcasters by creating some kind of a get together before COVID, right? At an AIA national or some other large event and they genuinely just hang out and like each other. And I think that is such an interesting kind of byproduct of, of creating these communities. And so if you're asking like, do they, are they coalescing? I, I absolutely. And the proof is in actually giving them opportunities to do that and they show up for it. But so, so I'll come back to the, to the, in the, the community aspect in a bit, but let me just stick on the, on the sort of audience building around content question, does does the community building aspect actually reinforce the problem that unless you address a very specific community, people will stop listening and that you have a natural kind of like ceiling to your audience on that basis. Mm -hmm. This community expects a certain content that speaks to their united interests and promiscuous, as it were, listeners is is less possible. Do you, do you have that sense? I, I do. I, th I think that, and I think that that should be okay. I think because capitalism, that's not okay, right? It's like, you, you must scale. You must always get bigger. You must, and, and it's, and it's like, okay, but, but what if you had, you know, this is kind of like the Kevin Kelly 1000 true fans, right? The, the fanatics like that. That's really what I think I've, I strive for with my things and, and not to be a million listener mm, podcast. Interesting. Is, do you feel the same, Luke? Yeah, I think that, I mean, it, one of the things that we do work on is trying to keep the keep the stuff accessible, that it doesn't, that we try and try not to do too much of the jargon, and we try to kind yeah. of contextualize stuff that we're talking about. But equally, I mean, we're doing it in part because we want to do something that isn't dumbed down and which doesn't make mm. concessions to a kind of, imaginary person with like a short attention span and like a re reduced capacity to understand ideas and that kind of thing so i mean i think we're comfortable at the type of audience that we're that we're at um probably yeah there are probably a lot of people in the world who would like it if they found it but um the thing of you know discover like becoming discovered by people reaching people is uh I think still a very unsolved problem in podcasting as well. I think if I ask people how they found the podcast, normally it's because they searched for architecture on the iTunes store. Mm -hmm. so mm. It's still the number one way, which is a pretty, uh, pretty kind of 
weird. We'll come back to that uh, and um, I, because uh, we'll, I want to talk more ex explicitly about building content communities and 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 the, the you know that 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 kind of thing. But just on the on the on the capitalism piece, mm -hmm. Evan, um, I, I think there's another dimension to it, which is which is what Luke is pointing to, which is finding the audience that is naturally there. All right, and so scaling to the extent that the content reaches its its audience, I think, is not quite the same as capitalism, which is let's ram this down everyone's throats mm -hmm. and dumb it down until you know pump it with sugar and randomness until it gets there, which is the movie model, mm -hmm. right? Strip out everything until it becomes a mass commodity product. Um, I think that um, you know the two things that I, I ponder around this is whether or not there becomes a so self-selecting niche that is too narrow, mm. right? That's something that worries me, particularly in architecture in general. But in our case, um, we're trying to do something that covers architectural technology in particular, but also cities, but also retail, and also dynamics of living and housing. And, and I then wonder the opposite is, can we get a loyal audience or a, even just a coherent storyline without telling people endlessly what we're roughly trying to do. And so that actually is what we're experimenting. And um, we'll see, right? You know, we'll see. But I think that, you know, I think on the one side, it's obviously true that building a, as you say, thousand loyal fans is, is, a, is, a, is a winning formula, whether or not it reaches everyone that could possibly be reached once oneself is satisfied. Hey, look, there's a lot of people listening. That's great. Still might leave, as Luke says, people out, out who don't know. And then it might be, you know, I wonder if it ends up being too narrow. But um, that then comes to this issue, which is, you know, what is any of this about, right? Because one thing that's been very clear to me in listening through the Troxel podcast is that more and more and more of your your um, uh, interviewees are basically saying architecture is dead mm. in its current form. Right? Not that, 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 that spatial design or architectural design as a, as a phenomenon is dead, but the architecture offices and architectural practice and the presumptions of the AIA and how it trains people is dead and it just doesn't know it yet, mm -hmm. right? And so that's part of my concern, I guess, in a broad sense, not specifically to your podcast or your audience, but just about the profession and how there's a, there may be a cultishness about it. And one of the many contributions I think your, your, the Troxel podcast is making without when doing it in a very gentle way, they're letting the, 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 the interviewees speak for themselves without building a narrative explicitly is a lot of change is, is coming and is needed, mm -hmm. right? Do you have that sense that, that we're at a precipice of change? Do we need to be changing what the content of these of these broadcasts are? I love to, oh, that's so great. I've never used the word broadcast before. Because podcasts sound so cheesy. Let's call it broadcasts. You know, do you, do you feel the content is and needs to evolve because the world is changing? Where are you at with that? I, I don't know. I, I feel like we're just trying to get us through it. It's uh, it's right. like we're, we're working it out in public, you know, yeah. um, and trying yeah. to build some consensus there or at, at least create... A conversation of which people can become like it's an invitation right to to be a part of that and I, I i i feel like there's still like staunchly two sides to this and 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 so is it is it going to change it's, it's never going to change fast enough and it's also yeah. not going to change at all right so yeah. it, it's it's all of those things and and i yeah. feel like this is just an, an opportunity for people with like purpose, I, I don't really want to say like-mindedness because I don't necessarily think everybody 
thinks like that. I, I think it's, it's more of a, a purpose driven, like we want to have, we want to be around in the future and, and not the, not us as individuals, but us as, as, as a profession, because it matters. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so finding other people who think like that so that we can have these conversations and, and just get it out there that, that you, you have to get out of your project schedule and think about these things. Mm. So you what? So if if I paraphrase that to some extent, you're saying that the conversation is itself is the it, it, it is is surfacing sufficient. It's it's surfacing the change narrative in the appropriate way. You don't need to adumbrate that and build a theory of change. It's like the conversation is telling you what's going on. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you feel, uh, Luke, that you're at the center of a changing profession or a changing set of issues, or does that not bother you? No, I think we're massively, I mean, we're both like to varying degrees kind of defrocked um, and kind of outside of, uh, outside of the... Explain what you mean by defrocked. <laughs> I know what you mean by defrocked, but I think to some listeners it might sound that you're broadcasting naked. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just a word used of priests who are like no longer, um, no longer, uh, uh, yeah whatever yeah oh, part of the indoctrinated uh, into the yeah. um yeah it's the kind of thing that you would do as like a 19th century lady of all repute is elope with a defrocked priest um um this isn't, this isn't making it clearer by the way the um yeah no i think we're kind of outside of it and i think i mean one of the things which i like more and more about our approach to the podcast is is being outside of the profession and also kind of outside of the day-to-day of the conversations like I've, i'm very personally very interested in them and follow them but i don't really know that i have that much to add by being kind of in the minute by minute of them and um you know I, I feel like i feel like one of the things which a lot of podcasts do is to provide a kind of audio description of trends on twitter and I think that that is that's like actually not a sort of ignoble thing to do. I think it's kind of a sort of helpful condensation of of, of the social weather. But it's not what I want my kind of practice as a uh, as a new media guy to be about. I'm sort of interested in yeah the like the long view, deep time thinking about um, as much about how things sort of got the way they got rather than what's going to happen next, which I think is. I, I mean, I'm broadly on board with the sort of crisis narrative that we seem to be spinning here, but it's... Um... Wait, 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 hold on, I'll unpack that. You mean crisis about media or about... Oh, profession, oh, the profession. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the sort of sense that things are... Um, things, yeah, it has kind of gone a long way into, um, you know, through an impasse into something which I don't even know what, what it would be, a kind of solid wall or something. Um, yeah. I, 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 I actually do sense, I probably should have, should have like corrected the language a bit. I do think that there is, I mean, architects is one of those professions that is always is always in crisis, right? It's always trying to define its role. I mean, yeah. classically, yeah. it's at the boundary of the, Very productive. Of the Very te- productive. technical and yeah. aesthetic professions. But I, I think it's a bit different now when, I mean, I'm just, you know, there's no point in not saying it, where, where Clifton, Harness and Ian Keo, who are producing, you know, interesting software, uh, which on the surface is by architects for architects, explicitly say, and they've said it on your podcast, Evan, this is not for architects. Mm-hmm. It's for developers. That is a bit different. 
right? That's actually a bit different. And, 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 and so maybe that isn't the crisis because the, exactly as you say, Evan, it's presented in, a, in, in, his, in these unfolding conversational ways. They're not saying, you know, they don't claim that there's some grand crisis. It's just, you know, they're saying what they're moving on to. And I, I, I do think that's interesting. I mean, on the other side of it, from, our, from you know, one of the conversations we've had has been with one of the one of the guests on this pod, uh, podcast talk was um, talks was uh, Unreal Engine and Oscar Stallberry, who's a game designer who uses yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. a different gaming engine but the same principle. They're not architects, but realistically, they're very interesting to architects. And in the case of Unreal Engine, they're extremely ambitious to reach out to the AC profession, architecture, engineering, construction profession. And one of the things I'm saying to them, which I, deep down I'm sure they know, is be careful what you wish for because there just aren't that many people out there, mm -hmm. right? You've got Fortnite and people who are literally building buildings mm -hmm. second by second at the scale of tens or hundreds of millions of users. And somehow you're asking other people to get interested in this, mm -hmm. in building. Who don't like to spend you know, money you, on it, yeah. Exactly, and so I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, there's something happening here. And I think that is a bit different from the historical kind of, you know, perma-crisis of the profession in relation to society. It's actually more practical, operational workflow, training, monetization, jobby stuff. Um, and, and, and at least it exercises me because it's one of the reasons why um, I'm anxious that our podcast, although we've done a bunch of computational design, um, uh, computational architecture podcasts, just doesn't, that doesn't become the epicenter. It becomes one of the roots of the content, but, but only one, because there's so many other angles on it. Let's take Blender, for example. I mean, we had Blender, an open source um, kind of software guys on, on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. And Blender is not, a, 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 it is not an architectural tool, mm -hmm. right? We had the Blender BIM leader, Dion Moltz, on, but he himself said this is a tiny fraction of the Blender community, mm -hmm. which is growing fast. Mm -hmm. But actually, the epicenter is people who use it for all sorts of purposes and actually don't even define what it's for when they open it up. Right. Right. It could be for rendering, it could be animation, it could be for modeling, it could be for all sorts of things. And I think that, that that's sort of what, where the conversation comes from about the limits of the audience, because I actually think that in, in respect of both of your uh, podcasts, for sure, and certainly what, what, we're, what we're aiming for is really to, to see what the, what the natural boundary is, right? And that may mean we, we fail to, the, to some extent building a, a content community because it just isn't landing on a specific detailed set. But it m might mean that we are able to invite more people into the conversation. For example, if we take a kid, and it's horrible to use that phrase, on Fortnite, who's using the Fortnite, just plays Fortnite, right? And they're building things in Fortnite, but also Fortnite is gradually making available environment creation tools. I don't know if that's public, but they've done some of that. Mm -hmm. What are they? Are they playing a game? I mean, I mean Oscar, I mean, let's take Oscar's game, right? O o Oscar is, we asked him, I've asked him a thousand times on the podcast privately, are you building tools for architects? No. Mm -hmm. Do you want to? Well, not really. Architects saying, quick, build us this for us. Um, Some architects. <laughs> Some architects, of course, right. But the, but the point is that, you know, I think the, the broader point is, is, wouldn't it be good if there were tools that had some of those interface characteristics? Not necessarily precisely that dynamic, but, but some of those sort of workflow characteristics. And so he's, he and they are outside of, the, of any of the dimensions of the conventional conversation. But I think there's a bridge there. That's kind of my point, basically. A quick aside, I think that, and I don't want to put words in Ian or Clifton's mouths, but I, I think the reason their audience isn't architects is because they, they they started there, but they didn't get the attention 
from architects that they were hoping to get, so they've moved on. Mm. Right, but are you saying that's because of the of, of failings in the product, or or something different about the industry that is that is needs to be surfaced? A, a little bit of both. I mean, it's mm. the failings of the product in that the, it was still early days and it didn't yeah. do every single thing that an architect wanted, right? Yeah. Um, but but at the same time, I mean, they're going to build tools for an audience who wants the tools, right? And it is willing to go through that R&D with them to build it, to become what they need it to be. That's, I mean, this is yeah. how startups just to, Just to make sure that you're, you're, you're on top of this, um, uh, Luke, in case this is, this is too inside baseball for you. Ian Keogh is the founder of Hypart, which is a kind of yeah. um, building design data platform with a web interface. And Clifton Harness is the founder of TestFit, which is a kind of optimization engine for layouts yeah. and yeah. Um, the, but actually I mean, what I would say back to that Evan is that Flux, I think maybe proved, proved at least initially that the market just isn't really there for these things yeah. in the way that at least because, because they, they, they had a lot more money than, than Hyper and Testfit and were aggressively working with large offices to build the product for them. Mm-hmm. Right? That was never public. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it just didn't work. Yeah, because they couldn't sell it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think I think this gets back to your conversation with with Oscar and and the reason why people the reason people like that game is is because mm. of all that nuance in the yeah the bounciness <laughs> and the ripples in this the water. Is the game. And 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 it's Soundscaper, yeah mm. yeah and and so. I mean that's what SketchUp is to architects, right? Like it's fun or <laughs> Enscape. It it has, it has this element of fun, and that's that's the stickiness, right? Mm. It, nobody wants to work in Revit. I mean I, that's a big, fat generalization, but nobody shows up every day. Again, royal nobody in air quotes and podcasting air quotes, but people find it horrible. They don't they don't want to do that, right? They want they want to have something, help them get this job done instead of fight this thing to get that job done. And that's where gaming is, is going to just come in and crush these existing income, you know, the, the software makers. Explain what you mean by that. I mean, just be, just to be clear, they'll crush who? So if, if, if we could get software developers in AEC to adopt this kind of gaming mindset, which, which they are the ones pioneering all this. When you talk about yeah. uh, you're you're talking about Fortnite, you're talking about Minecraft, you're talking about Townscraper, yeah. where where people go in and want to build things. Mm. That that mentality is exactly. is what is going yeah. to crush the the existing software makers. Very interesting. I mean, I think that is that is hyper profound, right? Because, and, and 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 so thank you because what you've really done, I'm sort of dancing around this question, but what I actually think is going on is that there is an emergent thing, not just in the in the media format and the and the and the dynamics of the audience around the media format that maybe seeks higher quality content, but actually the types of the audience and the types of conversations that need to happen. And I do think it's this emerging builder conversation mm-hmm. because I think that. I, I think that the that the um, that the crisis of architecture historically is meeting the crisis of architecture in, in terms of workflow technically, because the role of the architect, not the, what the profession is, is necessarily re-expanding into new things, mm. right? The, 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 where it's got itself niched, which is basically kind of like aesthetic 
volumetric framing and perfuming of, 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 of private or public spaces is just too niche, mm. right? It isn't really a connect to the construction or development sector sufficiently. That's, I think, the implications of Clifton and Ian's kind of shift in that direction. Mm. And um, it isn't in, in, in any way inviting to spatial creativity, mm-hmm. not just because you have to deal with fucking Reddit, mm-hmm. but because the AI is a bunch of mm-hmm. weird old people that have no interest in in defrocking, if I may, you know, de- desacralizing the profession, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that is a big mistake because you know we we we've seen it in the music industry where people playing with sample, you know, boards mm-hmm. take over. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's not to say they they can't have classical educations, um, but you know, there's there's a lot of creativity that needs to be unlocked, and I think to talk about you know. But creative builders or to find a word there but obviously can go into the direction of conventional architecture which will need technical tools at some point all sorts of things and that's that's a healthy i do think that's the audience that's unfolding for this stuff right i would be genuinely surprised in the, in the next year or so luke for example that a ton of people who are using blender or fortnite building tools don't find a podcast and go this is what i always needed to know mm-hmm about the history of buildings and the mm. culture of buildings. And, and it's not because they want to complement their architecture um, uh, educational professional skills. They just want to know about buildings. Mm-hmm. And there's no name for that. It's just enthusiasts that end up becoming professionals, yep. which was what master builders were in the beginning anyway, right? right? Um, Brunelleschi was a goldsmith. Uh, you know, this is, all, this is all the history repeating itself in a broad sense. On, on content communities on that point, right? Um, Evan, let's start with you because as you know, you are the you're the the the, um, the Eminence Grise in the in the room here. I'll have to look that up. Do you market? <laughs> Does it matter to you? Because because Luke's using these words like velocity and whatnot, and I wonder if you've ever felt that it's appropriate to. How do you build them? How do you build an audience? Just like pure numbers. How do you do it? That's a, how should one do That's it? a good question. I. Because I don't know, necessarily know the answer. I think I think building an audience, like I said, we're we're in this transition period. I think where consistency matters uh, to help build an audience, so that people kind of get a, a sense of what they can expect, and to build those relationships that I think that these mediums are are building with with authentic, hopefully, individuals and characters. Right. So. I think I think one of the biggest tools that people have to at their disposal is obviously kind of especially with Clubhouse now. Uh, you don't need any equipment you, except for the phone, right? Um, and so now you just need to set up a schedule and show up and and do the thing and talk about the thing that you want to talk about that's important to you over and over and over again and from lots of different angles and with lots and lots of nuance and really get into the weeds. I think is is really those are some key factors to to building an audience. Um, so, and I think it's a little unfortunate how consistent you really should be. I think, like like Luke said, it's biweekly is one thing, weekly is a whole other thing altogether. As far as uh, ability to grow an audience, um, it, it really does take something like that. And I'm not quite sure why, um, other than people don't have anything better to do, maybe, but. But it's um, but but it really does matter. I think it, it's one of the biggest things. I don't think it's quality necessarily. I don't 
quality helps, but I don't think it it, mm-hmm. it hurts. Um, and and I I'm trying to think beyond that. I think it's uh, it's just the ability for people to comment and become a part or extend the conversation afterward yeah, through social media or comments on blog posts or mm. things is like that, that. Is that, do you have a specific modality that you prefer for that comment? Is it Twitter or is it, what is your, I just think it is Twitter. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't okay. think I have a preference. I, I, you know, obviously we, we have comment ability on our mm. podcast feed and mm. hardly anybody takes advantage of it because yeah, you could you could type a lot more than you can on Twitter, but but the quick snip nature, the back and forth nature, um, the the way that information gets surfaced to a, a larger group of people so quickly because it's broadcast rather than you have to go to the site to do it and and read it and there's no notifications happening there or anything like that. It's just Twitter. That's it. Interesting. And I think it's the so only you- thing, the only way to do it. Yeah. You, but but in, but in terms of for example, if there, you know, would you would you consider um, Clubhouse as a as a as a as a feedback medium, or that would not would you that would not be credible for you? I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think that that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, um, Luke. So 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 rehearse your 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 doubts and worries about growing the audience because you were, I cut you off earlier about that. Oh well, I mean, so for us, I think that the main the thing which grows the audience more than anything is just putting out content regularly because that yeah. tends to sort of surface you in the algorithms of the various podcast stores, which I think, as I say, is still one of the, one of the main discovery mechanisms. For and for you regularly is how often? Well, if we can do it every two weeks, it works much better, but in practice, we always miss that by, by like a month. <laughs> you know, if we get, so six if we get 12 done in a year, we're doing, we're doing relatively well by our standards. Yeah. I mean, but we, but we always, we like to consider ourselves a like fortnightly podcast, but it's never, it's never anything like that. The other thing, I mean, we use the other social networks. Um, so you use the word fortnightly in your description so that the algorithm picks you up as if you were fortnightly. Well, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we may be being penalized for all I know, but um, the, we use the other social networks really as a way um, to reach people. So putting out um, supporting material on Instagram and Twitter and um, our editor, Matt is um, a bit younger than us and much better at that. And I think that has has brought a a lot of people to the podcast. And we're now also putting the podcasts on YouTube um, just as uh, like, as another basically to make them more Googleable, but the it's, I think it does rely Still, I think the main thing that happens is that people at a certain point discover it. And then mm. for some subset of those people yeah. love it and listen to loads of them. And is it, I just sort of don't, I don't know how to grow that number, particularly except from just kind of keeping, keeping doing it. It's the main That's very interesting. So basically if they discover it somehow, then they'll stick in, in whatever channel there is. Yeah, I think it's because Car- Cara Swisher <clears throat> and, and Scott Galloway that have a uh, podcast called Pivot, mm-hmm that basically exploded out of Cara Swisher's least popular of her three podcasts that she was previously doing. Um, and they went onto YouTube as well. And they, and they, why, one of the reasons why they're interesting technically is because in terms of metrics, they're, they're not cross compatible, right? You, you have to measure them differently because they're not part of the same discovery and syndication mechanisms, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very interesting to go to use audio on a, on a, on a, on a video output channel. Interesting. Um, I mean, what, one thing I think, one thing I would say, and I, and I, and it's noticeable that it, you know, neither of you say it, and it's something that I've been learning as I've been quietly building 
business over the last few years is that marketing works and and mm. I don't do enough or, I mean we don't, haven't done any of it right uh, but at some but in the near future certainly if we get the collaboration that we're that we're hoping for we'll definitely do that is that we'll do it somewhat is that in a traditional way or like a well, that's a good way. question, right? Yeah. And it's partly about the audience you're seeking and the way that you one seeks audiences. But the basic point I'm making here is just putting money down to get your audience matters, right? Because I, I, I actually believe fundamentally in what you're both saying, which is that quality will rise and audience will discover their niches and, and so forth. But I also think that, um, I mean, partly the way these mechanisms are designed, right? Basically, if you pay money to the algorithms, then they will surface you faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, as simple as that. But also, it is just one of the ways in which users associate with content. I mean, it's, advertising works. I mean, it's just a brutal fact. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I have always resisted that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I sort of wonder why. And I think it's because, you know, if you come from an architectural or a research or a policy perspective, you just don't think of marketing. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, I mean, I'm just not, I haven't trained my brain in business terms. Architects find it very hard to market themselves because how can you market something that's not been built? You just try and build a relationship, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can market your existing brand, but it just feels a bit antithetical to how architecture is conventionally done. I think that all has to change. And I think that um, certainly in the time, what, what I can say about co- content community and building is that the next step, I think, we haven't worked out the details yet, will be to frame a conversation which we want to lead. Um, and so it'll be a bit different from just finding all this and saying there's, a, there's, there's an audience and there's a conversation that isn't yet happening. Mm-hmm. Let's build that together. And so that is a bit different from well, certainly what we've sort of been summing up so far. And I think how that you, know, you, you are both respectively building content channels because the audience is predefined. What I feel as an opportunity is to say, no, there isn't a predefined audience. And, and that's why I say that when you say, okay, what's the content for the, for the accidental builder, right? You know, in whatever space they're in. Something in there, I think, is helpful, and I think that marketing will help with that, particularly because the audience isn't, as I say, they're not magnetically defined yet. You have to tell a story and get them into the story, and you know, sort of mind space and mind share building. I think that there's also so that comes. There's, there's a thing that, I mean, podcasts slightly are between, like emails, they're kind of between platforms that they're not bound right. to a particular one. Whereas so much marketing in the on the internet now is within particular platforms particularly within particular kind of uh, walled gardens and so like how do you mean well so like you can advertise on instagram very effectively you can advertise on on um on twitter you can advertise on um youtube but like how do you advertise a podcast where people look for podcasts yeah right fair enough i think that the issue is um i think you're i mean just to kind of sub subdivide it i think there's an issue of of um discovery right so in where there is a world of people looking for podcasts about architecture how do you rise to the surface of that and then there's an issue of building a brand as it were getting people to kind of much more impressionistically think associate what you're trying to do with what they might be interested in and if you look at advertising on the metro for example that's classic advertising you cannot buy a thing from the metro advertising people still do it Mm. Right, and if you put, if you put if you put a web address there, the web is still in any case, he's you know theoretically better to surface that content than, than the metro or the billboard, and so that's what I mean by advertising. It's not quite the same as surfacing or discovery. It's literally just getting a brand and a concept in people's faces, um, and so the the marketing and the versus the sales channel are a bit or the 
a conversion, as it were, is slightly differential. But um, I mean, it's, 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 I'm, 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 I don't know how relevant it is to you. I'm just sort of saying it for myself. It's particularly when, when I feel that we haven't really defined our content space or audience as partly because I think we do want, I want to go beyond relatively predefined categories. I, at least in my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's time to access marketing uh, in a way that I'm not used to doing. Mm-hmm. I'm just maybe just finding ways to justify spending money. <laughs> well, I think it, it gets back to this, you know, are you doing this on the side and how committed yeah. are you to putting people in place to do the things that we're talking about doing? Because it is almost impossible to do that when this is your side gig. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for us, I think the issue is, is as follows. I feel very strongly, right? I'm, I'm writing a piece in this called um, It's Time to Program. Right, and it's basically a play on how far we've got with computational design, and what I believe is the significant lack of conversation in what we're designing for. Mm. We do not have an advanced conversation in the kinds of spaces we're designing for. And your conversation uh, on the podcast with Jeff Manor or Manor or whatever it's, I pronounce his name mm-hmm. about, you know, pandemic or epidemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, optimize cities and how we need to be ready for changes really triggered that for me right maybe maybe just made me kind of go over the top second now's the time to write this piece uh and it would be a you know piece that basically says okay we've come so far with pro you know designing but actually one of the problems with computational design is we do not know what we're trying to optimize mm-hmm. right because if you look at the conventional layouts we're optimizing a nuclear family residential model which i think is it's self-dying hmm. right it's just not appropriate for the modern world everyone has a car and everyone has you know large you know lounges it's all just bizarre and you know anachronistic increasingly but we don't know what's next mm-hmm. and co-living hasn't worked out yet and co-working is broken and so there needs to be a debate and i think that in that area i know that i want us to be a a significant contributor to the conversation even if all we're doing is raising questions and supplying tools and software and designs that maybe help move it forward mm-hmm. Um, and I may, maybe, and I'm still justifying the idea of spending money to be prominent, but it's the main thing is that it's something that's not defined. And if you don't define it and you want to be there, someone else is going to do it. Right. I mean, there's a company called reef technology that is parking. This is parking space company that converted itself into a service platform for real estate. They've raised a billion dollars in November and their adverts are the most vacuous things you've ever seen. It says, well, let's reimagine the city together. I'm like, well, if somebody isn't adding better content to that space, they'll just do it. They're just pumping money in there saying, let's reimagine the city and talking their own book. And I'm like, they've got a billion dollars to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, the storytelling aspect of it, particularly when it's very diffuse and undefined is interesting to me. Right. And, 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 and that, that's, that's a little bit different from, you know, reaching and expanding predefined audience and content segments i mean so that comes back to this to this point i want to ask you about is what do you feel your role is and what do you feel of people of other people's roles is in this space are you leading content are you servicing content are you happy to be in the background what do you feel that your role in the conversation actually is yourself whether you or your product or, or your podcast or whatever either way i think with the troxel podcast it's really about exposing these conversations to a larger audience who isn't necessarily interested in hearing about them. <laughs> so meaning the, the, you know, the, the older guard. And I think like one of the, so I'm a total Gen Xer and I feel like a lot of times my role in this world is to be the bridge between millennials and boomers. And that's it. And that's all I get to do. 
but there's a purpose there for me. And, and I feel like, like I want to take these, what I think are fundamentally interesting and important ideas that are happening in a, like you said, a, a pretty small defined audience of enthusiasts who are not the ones who are out there owning the firms and they're not the ones who have been doing this for a really long time, but they, they see the swell coming and exposing that to the ones who are going to be, they're going to have to decide whether they're going to do that or not. And so I really feel like that's kind of the podcast as a service for making meaningful change in the profession, or at least exposing people to what's coming so that you have no excuse uh, once it is here to have uh, denied that it ever existed. Right. So uh, well, yeah, kind of. no, that, that's all. Yeah. So and I'll come, I mean, that's beautiful. And I will come back to that in a second. What, what do you feel your role is in the discourse that you are a part of? Oh, I mean, I think it, the most sort of high minded uh, definition of this would be that I think we are kind of filling a space, a very, well, we're swimming around in a sort of very large gulf between the type of media that's produced by academics and within academic uh, kind of spaces and in academic language and, um, yeah, like the mainstream. I think that we're sort of tracing what feels to us a kind of sustainable line somewhere um, in our in our own kind of way and in our own terms. Um I mean, so yes, to be honest, but you're answering you're you're answering the question. Where are you positioned? I'm asking, what's your role? I mean, sorry, no, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I think I'm I'm not sure. What did you yeah, I'm not sure that we really have a mission in that sense. Except that I think that we're interested in we're interested in talking about stuff that we think is interesting, which perhaps doesn't get and which doesn't like get a lot of coverage otherwise. But beyond that, I find generally. For me, it's much more helpful to think about the podcast as a kind of a practice or as a something to do rather than something which is necessarily going to transform either our lives or those of the listeners. But, but so maybe so tell me if I'm forcing the point here, but when you describe, when I ask you the question, what's your role? And you say that you, you're standing between academic discourse and as it were, the mainstream. Is it, are you implicitly gently saying that you're, ha you're trying to pull the academia out from itself or is that just accidental? Uh, sure. Well, I think if we're trying to prove anything, it's that it is interesting to talk about buildings and that, like, mm. and to sort of to describe them and um, to try to really get to the bottom of what's going on inside the kind of meta-level architectural project at various times, rather than just the private lives of architects or uh, as kind of personalities. Mm. I think that one of the things that is very remarkable <clears throat> about your respective podcast, which I learn a lot from, and anything I say about you know wanting to shape a space or shape a conversation, actually, in my mind, I've filtered through what I'm learning from listening to your uh, stuff, is that coming into things with an explicit mission is a big turnoff, right? And partly because the 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 format is so intimate, people don't. I mean, at least the people might, I, the people the people who probably get the most out of it are the people who don't come to these things expecting to be recruited to a mission, mm -hmm. right? Mm. Um, and I think that um, your the the way the way in which if we take your podcast, Luke, that you do what you say you do, which is you know explore somewhat academic topics historically speaking in a in engaging format is 
brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant because it is it's absolutely clear that you know you, you know the content, but it's clear you love the content and you love playing with the content. Yes. And your conversation with George is fucking hilarious, <laughs> particularly for Brits, um, where there are nuances and details that are just utterly hilarious. But it just is brilliant um, the way you challenge each other and you explore the content. In your case, um, Evan, I mean, to be fair, you, you know, it sounds just so therapeutic, right? The way that you draw conversation out and content out and personality out is a work of art. It's brilliant. And, and, it's, and it's clearly, you know, it speaks to your personality and your professional experience, but also your skill as a broadcaster, which is to make it feel like you're going on a, on a, on a, on a, on a hike together. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's just hang out together, you know, look at the weather. And then suddenly after, you know, an hour or hour and a half, all this information, <laughs> people have bared their souls and built, you know, these very sophisticated commentaries on so much stuff. And I think that is another act of genius. And I think that um, um, you're, I think you're both very um, uh, modest in, in, uh, in avoiding claiming any mantle of leadership. But I, I definitely can, can feel that what you're, when I, when I ask you pointedly and what you're saying is you're helping um, people come into the conversation around technologies is absolutely effective, right? I think that's very powerful. I, th- I think for me, it's it's about making it part of the vo- the daily vocabulary and the culture, whereas yeah. for people who don't think of it like that, they've never thought of it like that. And so it's it's mm. about it's about doing it over the long haul. I think that mm. one of the the struggles, you know, I'm 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 married to an introvert who is very, <sighs> researches everything, analysis paralysis, and she wouldn't, she wouldn't mind me saying that because it's true. (laughs) But at the same time, like she would never listen to my show because it's not to the point and she wouldn't get something out of one episode necessarily. Right. (laughs) So this show is not that like this show is about exploring. Like, I love how you said it. Let's go for a hike. It is about exploring this landscape and, Mm -hmm. and overturning rocks and logs and looking for things where people don't normally look for things. And, mm. and t- it's very much like that. And it's very much a thing that you have to keep showing up for to really understand, I think. So, uh, mm. yeah, that, that, I think that was really helpful for me to even hear you kind of play it back to me that way. Well, I don't think, I don't think you noticed it, but I'm, I'm listening through the podcasts like intensively and re-listening to some. And I, um, I, I, I was very, I, was, I said the words that I sort of meant, but I wanted to reframe it. There's a very therapeutic quality to it because it feels like you know everything they're going to say. Um, basically (laughs) you've thought about all these things a thousand times before and you are giving people the opportunity to Mm -hmm. unfold their own perspectives on these things Mm -hmm. and that feels like what happens I think in therapy environments Mm -hmm. which is it's all fine we know it all already let's just get it out there Mm -hmm. and it creates a real sense of um, discovery but also calm which is interesting and that's an interesting balance and I think that it's one of the reasons I'm sure it's one of the reasons why um, people find it uh, digestible because, because particularly in the technology space, I've discovered um, to my horror, really, it create people are quite scared of admitting they, they don't understand mm. it, right? Particularly in professions where they've built a lot of career value, not needing to know it. And now suddenly all this shit is going on. Right? I think for me, that comes from, from growing up as a designer and having right. communication being my number one job. And it's all about communicating ideas and decisions back to people and helping them understand what they just decided. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I really have approached this like a design problem. And I, I appreciate what you're saying because I, I do feel like my job is to make these topics approachable by people who don't mm-hmm. do this every day. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Do you feel that in, in, I mean, maybe, maybe you can tell from your, your, your audience demographics, do you feel that um, there's an age response curve in some, in some sense to your content? Is it, how, how do you feel the, you know, the age of the, of the listener matters in terms of their, you know, their engagement with it? Yeah, I, I definitely, it's still skewed towards the younger for sure. And I, I think just because those are the people who want to hear their peers talk about the things that they're working on and the things that they're doing, mm. it isn't totally explicit in that age range, but I think the people that I'm talking to are, are more, you know, my age. So it's interesting to me to see those people who are the ones willing to take the risk to start the businesses to do these things, but enabling the younger generation to actually drive where those things go. And so again, I feel like I'm kind of trying to build a bridge. What's the, is there a demographic pattern in your listenership, um, uh, Luke? Um, well, yes, there is. I mean, I d- without wanting to caricature them, I, I mean, I think that the, there's also a sort of diversity of um, like interest, occupation and, and physical location that's very surprising. Um, uh, but yeah, I think it's sort of, it does skew towards, it probably skews towards then like the audience of podcasts really, which is sort of slightly, slightly mm-hmm. professional, slightly introverted and slightly male, um, uh, which may be changing, but um and I, you never really know which of the which of the several filters is the is the the result of this. But that's sort of just based on who emails, um, who yeah, who gets in touch, that kind of thing. Um, what are, are there? Are there? Are there? Do you feel that there are leaders in this domain, so audio-led design content, that you look up to or out to or are similar? I mean, are there, I'm sort of trying to kind of focus on the question of the leadership here. Are there people that are using these kinds of content formats and this specific content area in different ways that you find interesting? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, well, I mean, so for example, there's a, there's a, there's a famous podcast called 99% Invisible, but it's just a very different thing. I was thinking about about that one specifically as well. Yeah. And, and I and I, I have a I have an uncomfortable relationship with it as I have an uncomfortable relationship with all content that I believe is is in the popularizing category, because while I love some of it, I feel very uncomfortable with the bits when I suddenly discover, hang on a second, I know about that and I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a very famous. I mean, it's a little bit. I I would be resistant to calling him a documentarian. A guy called Adam Curtis who does very detailed long sort of historical sociological studies yeah. in in film form and i used to believe that he was a revelatory documentarian until he started you know until he did a few episodes of his things on things i know a lot about and i was like hang on a second this is all wrong mm. and and so i i have some concerns about popularizing content but and i do oh, i actually do feel it's a bit of a different thing but where are you going where are you going to go with that Adam? I, I just, you know, as far as, as the preciseness in which a story can be told over audio, I think is, it's just very different from what I do. And I yeah. think that yeah. that kind of production quality and the the attention to craft there is, 
it's very architectural in nature, even though, you know, and obviously the content is kind of based around that, but Roman is by no means an architect, right? It's just, yeah. it's his enthusiasm for these unnoticed things that have been designed in our everyday environments that kind of expose these, these things that most people just drive right by, you know, stop for the sign, you know, and stop and read the plaque, right? Like that, that motto driving the stories that he tells, I think is, is interesting. So I think for him, he's, he's just found details that he's again, exposing to a larger audience and through the production quality has really hooked people to, to know they're going to get a good story every time they show up. That's true. I think that's actually that's much more reasonable. I think I think what I've ended up doing in my mind is is in is forcing him into the category of content driven pod, you know, like architectural podcasts, and then being disappointed that it's more narrative driven. Mm. And then you remind me that of course that's the premise of it. It is a narrative concept. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's another podcast I feel much more comfortable about called Stuff You Should Know, which is very popular. And the reason why I'm more comfortable with that is it 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 doesn't present itself as a technical podcast. Right. It's not a architectural or design technology podcast. It's a clever guys chatting with each other. Very similar, actually, to in style and format to um, uh, and some, I would say, actually, in, in sort of content, uh, content worship style uh, to about buildings and cities. Um, mm. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, so so a final a final sort of ref- set of reflections, I guess. Do you feel that there are big things that are going to happen in this space. What I mean by this space is audio content for architectural technology built design themes. Or are we just going to carry on evolving organically? I don't just mean us, I mean like the whole domain. I mean, my feeling about this is that it's something which you need to do for a long time and which is innately quite kind of, can be quite slow moving. So I think from that point of view, just in terms of, what the future content is or what people are going to do with the medium i think it has a lot of like it has a lot of potential to explore just because a lot of it is about um new people who are not previously in media getting access to it and thinking they'll have a go at it and then also sort of working through the kind of practical issues about how to make it do what they do what they want or sort of discovering what it's capable of um from the point of view of transformations the from a sort of wish fulfillment angle, there's a thing which um, people always ask us for, uh, which is for the podcast to have sort of supporting visual material attached to it. And uh, is um, if the if if we're kind of thinking about new or different formats, the person who eventually invents that as a sort of straightforward and well integrated um, like category yeah, will be doing big me, me a big favour. I mean, Spotify already has. I mean, they they have they they all the different podcast platforms are pioneering different things. Yeah. But, pod, but Spotify has pioneered the blend of video and audio, right? So you do have video on some of the podcasts, and they call them podcasts, although there's a video mm. stream, and it's a low quality video stream. Yeah, which is quite interesting. Um, in terms of the bigger picture, I mean, we could be about Troxel or Archisphere, but do you feel that there are evolutions that are going to take place or come into being at some point in the in the in the relatively near future, Evan? I haven't thought too much about it just because I'm trying to stay alive most of the time. But <laughs> I, I think that, that yeah, there's, I, I, I do like to switch things up and experiment. I, we've done that with the format on Arcuspeak over the years, for sure. We used to be every, 
you know, we were a fortnightly podcast for the longest time. And then we switched it up to twice a week. So shorter, but shorter episodes, kind of realizing that the, the, the commute is gone, right? And so um, what could we do to be have more mind share with our listeners and to kind of rate give people an outlet like that's very much what that podcast is right it's 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 water cooler talk and so if we do that for twice a week for 20 minutes it's much more in line with the premise than um an hour and a half every other week right so um i think people needed the water cooler especially you know in the last last year than 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 ever um as far as other changes to that i think well one of the things that's that my both of my podcasts are a part of is a, is a larger podcast network and i think that mm, if that gets off the ground and and fulfills the hopes and dreams of the network ownership then then yeah i think that there's lots of potential there to especially for me i think what would be exciting would be to do more collaborations um what is what is the network the network called? so the network's called gable media and it's That's it's fine. really around the AEC space and creating a place for people to get their total fill of, you know, those those types of things, uh, that type of content. And so it doesn't have to fit a specific area or niche. It just it's just in that general topic area, and and that'll be audio and video. And so I think that there's lots of potential there for for collaboration. I think my Troxel podcast in particular could have a vi- vi- visual element to it that would yeah. be, I don't know how many people would tune in for an hour plus to watch two people talk, but because I do think it is, it's just the video version of the podcast. It wouldn't have any supporting materials, but I do know that there's people who do that. And, you know, just like there's people who leave the TV on in the living room all day. Right. So I, I think that, that that's a possibility, but I honestly, like I said, just trying to stay alive. I don't think about it too much. The reason why I'm asking, well, not, really, not so much the reason why I'm asking, but the, the, but the things that occur to me in this in this space, because I spend a lot of time studying um, media ownership and media formats and how these things coalesce. So I've spent a lot of time looking through the content, audience, digital, print, video, audio mix of BuzzFeed, Vox, New York Times, New Yorker, mm-hmm. Condé Nast. I'm just really curious about all this stuff. And... Um, I've definitely watched, for example, Cara Swisher, her her model evolve over time, mm-hmm. right? And she's become a big powerhouse podcaster. And, and I sort of watched the different configurations of media and company and content around her. Um, and she sort of landed as a, as a, as a contributor at um, New York Times, right? So her, her, she has a big podcast with Vox Media, which is Pivot. Which was originally the smallest of her podcasts, and she's basically shut down the Decode brand, mm-hmm. um, except for the D, for the Code Conference, which is a money maker. Um, and uh, her other big podcast is sponsored by, always pushed by the, produced by the New York Times, and um, uh, called Sway. It's a, you know, basically talking to important people, and and I, and I, I don't think these these machinations and these gyrations have really changed. What I have noticed is that. If we take Pivot, for example, I've stopped listening to it because as the audience grew faster and faster, the quality of the content just went down mm. because they were speaking to a much more general audience and needed to kind of give them red meat. Um, uh, and I just thought that was less interesting. And I, and I noticed that was a shift in the dynamic. It was basically less about a defined 
tech listening audience, people who wanted, as it were, tech gossip, and that's a different thing, I think. Um, but I, I do think that there is um, one of the reasons why uh, Spotify has put such an enormous amount of money in podcasts is because, I mean, Spotify is spending $100 million on Joe Rogan's podcast, for example, is I think an example of the audio renaissance um, separately from just listener like you know, uh, like statistics in terms of balance of audio versus video versus other media, uh, is that that Spotify believes there is a lot more time and attention and money that can come through um, this this spoken uh, spoken word as it used to be called mm. <laughs> channel, um, and I'm very fascinated by that, and I and I actually think that in the built space, there's a very significant opportunity to to offer content leadership. And there's a particular reason for that, which is sort of overlaps with a bit of what, I, I don't actually have any ambitions in this space. I'm just like speaking to where I think the, you know, the, the, the world is. But I think that, so I had a conversation today with somebody who used to be senior at Sidewalk Labs. We were basically talking about the complexity of you know, technology and projects and evolution of you know, the city and why certain Sidewalk Labs things have not worked out. Mm -hmm. And I was just reflecting on the fact that this particular person was very, just has a very unique expertise. And one of the, and I said, you know, I just reflected that I think that the world will keep coming to you for answers because it's so complicated, right? And I think that's where we've got to is that the built space. And this is, you know, it's basically this is a similar point to what I'm talking about is we, know, we don't really know what we're programming for in architectural or urban terms. But the, the debate around that, which is what exact, how exactly are we digitizing the built environment? what is the economy of the built environment who's in control there are so many you know overlapping forces there as there always have been which is massively intensified by technology and the complexity and the speed of change of the, of the world we are in but i think that um there is a large audience for the, our, our respective content and that will at some point there will be money behind that i think people will want to see whether it's a you know uh, you know, a, a syndicated podcast show or a TV show or something that's set that is basically, you know, it could be I mean, the minute exactly the content will be spent on the scale of the audience expected, but what is going on in the built environment? It's all fucking complicated, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you can take any aspect of the built environment, it's all exploding in real time. Mobility, public transit, you know, any flavor of that, mm -hmm. cars, bikes, logistics, uh, retail, re you know, re residential formats, uh, just so many dimensions, and I, and I feel that um, it, it, it will be the opposite of a niche. It'll be something that a lot of people want to tune into. And I think that you know we, we can all, we can already see some of that. I think historically by looking at what's happened in reality TV, right? People want to know about things Absolutely. that no one would have imagined. Yeah. Antiques Roadshow. Real Housewives. Who the fuck thought the Real Housewives would not just be a program but a franchise? Ice Road Truckers. Right? Yeah. But you're right. So you see the point, right? Is that is that if you frame a story, it can go somewhere, and that's sort of what I mean about advertising. It's not so much surfacing existing content, but it's it's building audience willingness, awareness, meta dynamics of where they go for something. And so Gable Media, which I I, I knew the name um, uh, because I've heard it obviously on your podcasts, Evan. Mm -hmm. Now I'm looking it up. I think it's an interesting space because you know. You know, the um, Spotify is investing staggering amounts of money there. I mean, there's a little bit of a detail in terms of their licensing model for music. So there's another reason for why they're doing podcasts, but it, they want to make money out of podcasts. But it, I think the best example, which is probably what one of the things that inspired and still inspires Gable Media is Pushkin Industries, right? Mm. 
the one of the most popular authors in the 20th, you know, popular science authors in the 20th century, Malcolm Gladwell, mm. now runs a podcasting publishing company, mm. all of which are brilliant, mm. right? They're, they're, they're not popularizing content, they're narrative content led by narrative people. It's a brilliant, brilliant mm. stable. And I think that I'm quite interested, not professionally, actually, not, not in any way, just, just objectively in seeing what happens in this space. If there is a professional interest, I just don't want shit to take over. Yeah. Right. right. I, you know, I want the, the, the you. I, I really do feel, Evan, that you're a brilliant podcaster. You have a podcaster's voice. You have a bedside manner that is absolutely spectacular. You're a brilliant content leader because you know your stuff and therefore can unfold the conversation very gently um, and just incredibly compelling. And I feel that you are also a, a brilliant uh, broadcaster in, in your format, Luke, because of just how you make extremely uh, uh, cloistered, to use a religious phrase, uh, content cloistered by the academy, stunningly accessible and fun. Mm. Right? I mean, these are real documents that people can listen to again and again. Mm. And I and I very much want, as the world seeks out more accessible media narratives and content around the built space, which I it, for me is inevitable because of the complexity and people's just need to attach to meaning meaning making. I'm sure there'll be a larger space for this stuff. So that's me basically contradicting, you know, your modesty about small <laughs> innovations here and there. I think that that as the mainstream classic media just continues to fail yeah. and stumbles and, and falls apart, I think there will be interesting opportunities. So what the format is, what the audience is, exactly all of that, I think will continue to evolve. And I think there's specific problems, as you say, Luke, around surfacing content that exists is already a problem. But if you look at, I've been, I spent a lot of time studying YouTube, and you look at how YouTube has built audiences, it's stunning. And then, and the story there is not told properly in the media, mm. right? PewDiePie gets 10 million views a day, yeah. a day, right. right? The Megan broadcast got 17 million views, and that was a high point of world fucking TV history. Right. Yeah. PewDiePie just fucking does it in his sleep right. every day. And that's 10 million per day. That's why Joe Rogan. That's not the cumulative that's use. That's why Spotify paid 100 million for Rogan. Yeah, it's go. for the audience. Right. It's for the attention, right? It's, it's there you Mr. Go. Beast, so, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. And I, and I feel that, you know, this idea that we're dealing with long tail niches and whatnot is just wrong. It's just wrong, right? If you build trust and you build out your library and you create a conversation space that matters. I, I watch PewDiePie most days and it's absolute <laughs> nonsense. It's literally nonsense, yeah. right? It, you know, he's, 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 he's got these kind of fake content series. It took me months to understand what the fuck was going on, mm -hmm. right? He has this thing called Luai, which means last week I asked you, it's literally him just reviewing random submissions about his own channel on Reddit, on his channel. Mm -hmm. It couldn't be more irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It's like the quintessence of random shit and it's brilliant, yep. right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that any doubts that people want content that matters to them are dispensed by that single show alone. Luai has more viewers per day than almost all the syndicated TV shows in history get at their high points. Like, like you know, like The Wire and whatnot. All this golden age of TV. Something is going badly wrong there. And I think that, I definitely think that the, that the people's willingness to be in the builder conversation, like Fortnite and whatnot, is going to open out a broader space of why are we not talking about the world we live in daily? We talk about politics. We do not talk about infrastructure. We don't talk about mobility. We don't talk about, you know, anyway, I, I, I'm very excited about the opportunity. And 
frankly inspired by you guys to see where the conversation, the, the, where society pulls the conversation and where technology enables that. Mm. So, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, th thanks for having me. Yeah. I, I really appreciate the, the conversation. Great to, yeah. Yeah, to speak yeah, to you guys. Yeah, really, really interesting to share thoughts on this. So I look forward to um, listening to more of your spectacular content. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll interact and overlap in, in, in various ways in the, in the months and years to come. Great. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. Thanks, guys. Speak soon. Bye. Bye.